You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. I am wrapping up my series on the vision for 2024. I've been talking to you about being ready for the Lord's return. The early church, the church that Jesus established in the first century, they lived each day with the understanding that Jesus could return at any moment and that they were to live in such a way that they were ready for him and that they would be found doing the work that he told them and asked them to do. As we've gone through the last few weeks, if you haven't been here, we've kind of talked about different ways to be ready, different ways that we can be ready. We're to be ready to pray, that we're always at a moment's notice ready to pray and ready to pray for one another and to pray God's will ready to follow. And I'm not talking about following me. I'm talking about following Jesus. To be a Christian means to be a follower of Christ. And do we know what his word says? Are we obeying his commands? Being ready to give, not just of our resources, but of ourselves. See, in the parable of talent had to do with what did God give you and what have you done with what he's given you? Ready to serve. Ready to serve others, to serve one another, to serve our church, to serve our community. Last week we talked about being ready for challenges that sometimes when you want to do the right thing, things don't always work out, do they? Sometimes when you try to start to do the right thing, sometimes you face challenges. Sometimes the challenges can come from your own family. Sometimes they can come from your workplace. Sometimes they can come from just people out in the world. And you're going to face challenges as you try and follow Jesus. This morning, I want to talk to you about ready to go. No, I'm not leaving you or anything like that, and hopefully I'll get you out early, but I'm not talking about ready to leave like right now, but being ready to go and to fulfill Jesus' command to go and make disciples. I want to talk to you briefly about the Great Commission today. The Great Commission is what Jesus gave his disciples to do. It's found in Matthew 28. 19 and 20, and Jesus says this to his disciples as an important truth that uh, he wanted to communicate. He says he wants you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission is Jesus' command to go and make disciples. In other words, to raise up followers of Jesus. Now, some might say, well, Jesus only said this to his 12 disciples, so it's only the 12 disciples that he wanted to make disciples. But that's actually not true, and it's a bit of a cop-out for us to say that because we see that uh, in Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, that Jesus sent out 72 disciples with the purpose of going into each town and preparing the way for him. So this is not something that was limited to the disciples or limited to the apostles' teaching, but this is something that every Christian and every follower of Christ should do. It's not just the pastor's job, even though that's part of my job, right? It's not just the deacon's job because, well, they're, they're, they're on the board and they're in charge of the church. It's not just the evangelist's job that when we have evangelists come in and they share the gospel, we say, well, we'll leave it to the professionals, right? Let's leave it to the experts. 
And one of the things, the reasons why we sometimes don't feel like we can share about Jesus is because we don't feel like we're fully and readily equipped to do so. Listen, everyone in this room who's a Christian has a story. You have a story of how you came to be a Christian. You didn't just wake up one day and were a Christian. Although some of you might have been Christians for 70 years and it feels like you just woke up one day and you were a Christian. But everybody here has a story about what your life was like before you came to Jesus and what your life was like after you came to Jesus. And if you have a story, you have something to say. If you have a story of what Jesus has done in your life, you've got something to say. So never think for a moment, it's like, that's not my job, it's somebody else's job, or I can't do that, somebody else has to do that. God wants all of us to do that. Jesus wants us to go. We can't stay behind and do nothing for him. Now let me talk about online church. Now I appreciate what online church did during the pandemic. It kept you connected. And if you're, you're watching online today, if you're disabled, sick, and unable to physically come to church, then I totally understand why you can't be here. But this is my exhortation to those who are able-bodied. Now, the word exhortation is an encouragement and a warning. Okay, it's two things. If you are able-bodied and able to be in church, then I just want to say this to you, that there are some aspects of the New Testament church life that you just simply can't get from being online. Yes, you can hear good teaching and preaching, but you can't fellowship with others online. You cannot serve from online. And even if I were to take it down a little bit further to kind of like a more personal level, you can't receive a hug online, right? Sometimes when you come into God's house and you've had just the kind of week that you're just like, you just are just barely dragging yourself in and a fellow believer in Christ who just cares about you and loves you and gives it that embrace, you can't get that online. If they did, they'd probably market that and sell it if you could get a hug online. But you can't do that there. You can't receive prayers or mutual encouragement online. It's something that happens organically in the hallways. It happens over a cup of coffee. That happens when we are together. Some things have to happen in the context of Christian community. Acts chapter 2, verses, verse 46 says that the early church met daily in the temple courts and broke bread in their homes with thankful hearts. They understood that it wasn't something you could do for a distant, from a distance, but something that you were a part of every day. So fellowship, mutual encouragement, prayer, uplifting conversations is something you can only get in church, and it can't be done purely online. Same thing with serving. When, we, when we're serving, we have to do that in the context of Christian community. The key aspect of the Great Commission is to go and tell people about Jesus. The go implies action. Now, if you're watching at home saying, I can't leave my house, I'm, I'm kind of homebound, I want to encourage you today, God still has a plan for you. If you are still sick in bed or if you are recovering from surgery, God still has a plan for you. 
for you. Do you have a phone by the bedside? Can you text someone an encouragement? Can you call someone to see how they're doing? You may not be able to leave your house, but the Word of God is not chained to our inability to get out. You can encourage someone. You can pray for someone right where you are. But if you are able-bodied, I encourage you to be in God's house. We're going to look at Luke chapter 14. And in Luke 14, 23, Jesus says that, that my house may be filled. The house that is full is full of faithful people. And guess what? It's also filled with people who don't know Jesus. That's the sign of a really good church. A church that is full of faithful people and full of people that need to know him. That will only happen if we come to church and if we encourage somebody to come with us. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses uh, 16 through 24 today. And if you're still awake and aware, say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Some of you are still waking up with that late response. (laughs) Chapter Chapter 14, verse 16. Let's take a look at it together. It's a parable that Jesus shares. And Jesus said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, just underline that part, those who were invited, come for all things, all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began making excuses. And the first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I asked, to have, asked that you have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go test them. I ask that you have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife and therefore cannot come. So that servant came and reported those things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant did it, and the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and there is still room. Underlined, there is still room. Father God, help us. Help us to remember there's still room. I'm not talking about Living Hope Church, even though there's still room. There's still room at his table for those who have not yet believed. Verse 23, then the master said to the servant, Go to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Underline that last line. Verse 24, for I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste of my supper. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to respond to your word. Give us revelation understanding that we might draw closer to your son, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. To give you a little background on this, I always like to do that because the proper understanding of scripture is in context. Um, Have you ever been taken out of context? Somebody quoted you and misquoted you. It's a terrible thing. You're like, I didn't mean that when they said that, but someone made it to sound like it's something that you said. So context is important. Uh, A parallel to this story, this parable, is Matthew 22. And it talks about a king and a banquet that he was putting on and for the servants that he was sending out. Some rejected it, and then some accepted it, and then there was a banquet to be celebrated here. But let me give you a little background to help you on this. The king in the story is God the Father. 
He is the one who is putting on this banquet. His son that is being, this banquet is being done in honor for is Jesus. The servants are his messengers. If you read in Matthew 22, it talks about that he sent out his servants and his servants were abused by those who went out to speak to him. So these are prophets in the Old Testament and disciples in the New. People who are servants of God to bring forth the invitation to this great banquet. The first group of people who rejected it are the Jewish people. The Jewish people had been invited, quote-unquote, through the, the prophecies of Scripture. All of the Old Testament was leading to the promise of a coming Savior, a coming Messiah that was sent from God for the salvation of all people. And when Jesus came, and when he came to his own people, his own people rejected him because they didn't fit their expectations of what he should look like. So they rejected the invitation, even though initially they were saying, yes, I look forward to the day in which your Savior will come. And then when the day came that he did come, they said, well, I don't want to have anything to do with following him. The second group of guests were people who were not initially invited. These are Gentiles. These are Samaritans. These are the poor, blind, and lame. These are people that, according to the old way of doing things, that were abandoned by God, even sinful people, and that they had no place in God's kingdom. One of the things that was marked about Jesus' ministry is that he was a minister to the outcast, that the poor, blind, and lame found healing with him. The Gentile and the Samaritan found company with him. Those who were outside of uh, God's plan as the way things were currently set up with the way the religious system was in that day, those who were outside of it were now welcomed in. They were outcasts, and now they've been made welcome through Christ. The invitation that goes out is to believe on Jesus. This is the gospel message, that if you turn from your sin, acknowledge Jesus as Lord, believe that he rose again from the dead, and put your faith in him, you will be saved. The banquet that he's speaking of, this great wedding feast is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the time where Christ will come back for his church. And when this church is reunited with him in heaven, there'll be a great celebration uh, in heaven. A great feast celebrating all that God has done. It'll be a marriage feast because one of the metaphors that are given in scripture for the church is the bride of Christ. And it's the bride of Christ because he deeply loves his church and they will be in covenant together forever. The outside of the wedding feast, those who are outside of the wedding that can't get in are those who rejected the message and the invitation and did not believe in Jesus. Now there are those who uh, were invited and then when the time came, they said, I can't come. And they gave excuses why they couldn't come. And it says that the king and the master of the feast was angry to the point that he says they won't even have a taste of this banquet. They won't even be able to smell this dinner. I'm so upset with them. Now, before you think that's an overreaction, let me give you a couple of illustrations and you tell me what you would do in this situation. It's Super Bowl Sunday, I don't know if we can say that like on a live broadcast, I think it's copyrighted. But many of you will be going to parties later on, Maybe you, many of you might be even hosting them. But if you are hosting one, 
chances are you reached out and invited different people to go and be a part of it. And you probably got a head count of how many people would be coming. And based on the head count of people that were coming and responding, yeah, I'll definitely be there. Maybe you bought all kinds of food. Maybe you, you spent early morning or the afternoon you know, smoking a brisket and you were getting it ready for people that you wanted it to be really good. Maybe you prepared your special recipe buffalo wings. Maybe you prepared a 10-pound brisket and 20 pounds of buffalo wings and you bought chips. And <laughs> there's, gonna be revi- there's gonna be a revival over on this side of the room. Just from, it's like, oh, he said buffalo wings. Thank you, Jesus. Imagine preparing that. So you've gone through all the trouble and you say, okay, this number of people, if we have this number of people, and oh, oh, pizza too, we need pizza. And if each person eats two slices of pizza, and then you kind of like invest all of that money in there, and you're like, okay, you guys are coming, right? Yeah, we're definitely coming. And then six o'clock rolls around and nobody shows up. And you're like, well, that's okay. The game doesn't start till 6.30, so maybe they, they'll show up just at game time. And then 6.30 kind of rolls along. And then 6.35, and then quarter of seven, and nobody shows up, and you have a house full of food that you spent money and time on to put together, and no one's going to eat it. Now you have all this stuff. Now you might, like Gary, be very glad that you have 20 pounds of buffalo wings to enjoy the rest of the week and the rest of the month. But for, those, for, but for a person that if you invest that time, that money, and that effort into, how may know that you might be possibly a little mad about that, that somebody bailed on you when they said they were going to be there. Maybe that doesn't relate too much to you. If you were planning a wedding, okay, you're planning a wedding for your daughter, you've invited friends, family, and loved ones to be part of this big day. I have a friend who does marriage ministry in Rhode Island, and I was I remember I was reading a post that he had that um, the average cost of a wedding in the state of Rhode Island is $40,000. I know, that's a lot different than when you got married, I'm right, you know? Um, so it's $40,000, okay? You've booked the venue, the caterer, the DJ, bought wedding, a wedding dress, all of your bridesmaids have bought their dresses, all the men have rented their tuxedos, you've combed through the guest list and you've set up seating arrangements, you mailed out invitations months in advance, to make sure that everyone got one. You got the RSVP list. You spent time thinking about it. You spent time uh, trying to, to sit people together so they wouldn't fight with each other, right? <laughs> Tried to sit people with people they like. And you realize that some people need to be closer to the, the, the bride and groom's table than the rest. And so you, you put a lot of time and mental energy into that. And you make sure everything's ready to go. You invested time, energy, money, emotional energy into this special day to make sure that everything is perfect. And people have responded. And you're planning for 150, 200 people to come to this wedding based on the responses on the invitation. And the day of the wedding comes. And you send out one more reminder about the wedding, and then all of a sudden, people start backing out, citing lame excuses why they can't come. So much so that on your wedding day, the only people that show up are you, your bridal party, and your immediate family. Would you be hurt by that? Yeah. Would you be mad about that? Yeah, I'd be mad about that. You better believe it. But notice in this case here, this is the reaction of the king of this banquet. 
He is very upset, not so much because the people made excuses that they couldn't come, but that their excuses were lame, okay? And if we're talking about the invitation to one of the greatest things that God had ever planned for mankind, salvation, it's even more frustrating to think about because the excuses were not really great excuses. Who buys a field without looking at it? Think about that. Who buys oxen without trying them out first? That's like buying a car without driving it. You ever buy a car without driving it? Maybe you have, but most of us say, I want to sit in this and drive it first. So it's not so much that they were excuses. They were excuses that weren't really genuine reasons. I say that because it challenges me and it challenges us as a church too that we have to watch ourselves to not give lame reasons why we can't do things for God. Because some of our reasons are lame. I'm just going to come out and say it. I wonder how we'll do when things get bad. Will we still make excuses or will we still be faithful to God when things get bad? My hope is we will. But if we're having trouble because it rained on a Sunday morning, you're going to have a lot more trouble when things get bad. Do you follow? What'd the king do? Now, if it was you or I, you might go in a corner and cry and sulk about it. But instead of sulking about those who didn't come, the master of the feast did something about it. The king determined that his banquet and his son's day is not going to go to waste. And his son's wedding is worth being celebrated. So he sends out his servants, his messengers, to invite Anyone who would come to come. As we get ready to wrap up this message. See, I told you you'd be out early. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. But when we think about the invitation, where does the king want them to go? You know, he could have been like, I give up. I'm sad. I'm frustrated. I'm not even going to bother inviting anybody else. But instead, he doesn't do that. He said he's even more determined to make sure that there are people invited to this. So, where does the king want them to go? First to the cities and the streets. In Acts 1a, he told his disciples to start in Jerusalem, then Judea, and Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. There are cities that need Jesus. Second thing is the country. Distant places. Acts 1a says go into not only just Jerusalem and Judea, not even just like your city and the surrounding area. Go to the places you don't want to go. Go to your Samaria. Go to your uttermost parts of the world. Go to the, and God's still calling people to go to the uttermost parts of the world to tell people about Jesus. Basically, he says wherever you go, whether you're in the city, whether you're in the country, you should always represent Jesus. You should always be willing to share Jesus with people. Church, can I encourage you, and my heart breaks as I even think about it, we should never be embarrassed of Jesus. We should never be embarrassed of him or feel like we're an imposition. Like I've always said, don't be an obnoxious Christian, just be an obvious one. Talk about how blessed you are today. Offer to pray for people. Encourage someone with a verse of scripture. Show concern for one another. Can we just do that today so that we would not treat Jesus as though he's an embarrassment? He's not. 
He's the best thing that ever happened to me, and hopefully he's the best thing that ever happened to you. Be his witness wherever you are. Go, and wherever you are, be his representative. Who does the king want them to invite? Well, anyone who's willing to come. Anyone who's willing to say yes. Anyone who's willing to listen and hear and respond. We sometimes are, tend to be very selective about who we want to tell Jesus about, as though we're picking the best people for God's team. <laughs> can I share it? Can I encourage you? It's like, Jesus didn't pick the best team when he picked the 12 either. You know, would you have picked those 12? I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. Sorry, Peter. Sorry. I wouldn't have picked you guys. But aren't you glad that God doesn't pick us based on our qualifications? Aren't you glad he didn't pick you because you are the, the brightest person in the room and the most handsome person in the room? And if they find that offensive, remember that Paul said, remember when many of you were called. Not, not many of you were wise by human standards. That sounds like an insult, doesn't it? He's like saying, listen, none of us are great shakes, but God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You are here because Christ chose you to hear his gospel message and to make a difference in this world. So who are we to go, you know who would be a really good Christian? That person right there. That person who happens to be a CEO. You know who would be a really good Christian? The person who is the mayor of that city. That would be a really good person to be a Christian. And we overlook the people that Jesus might direct us to on any given day and on a daily basis. Anyone who is willing to listen. Who else? The poor, the blind, the disabled. People who are outcasts of society. People who had infirmities in Jesus' day were considered to be cursed by God. People who had leprosy were shunned by the world. But Jesus goes to where those people are. He goes, these are people that I can help. These are people I can minister to. And he went there. And one of the reasons why the religious establishment hated him so much is because he was there to reach out to people that the religious said to them, There's, you shouldn't be associating with them at all. They're outside of God's plan. But the ministry of Jesus says that this banquet I have is open and welcome to all. There is room at the table is what he's saying. There's room in my house is what he's saying. Can I encourage you today? Jesus' invitation is for you too. You may not be physically blind but you may have been spiritually blind to who Jesus is, but Jesus wants you to know who he is today. You may not be disabled or crippled in any way, but maybe you've been broken by the experiences that you've been through in life. And everyone you've encountered with has said that you're damaged goods, but I tell you today, there's room at the table for you. There's room in his house for you today. And he gave his son for that purpose that you might be part of what he is doing. Jesus' invitation is for you today to believe, to receive. Jesus said if anyone believes upon the son, they would have eternal life. That if we confess our sins, 1 Peter says that he is faith, 1 John 1, 9 says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. This morning, I wonder if we can just pause during this message. Can we just pause for a minute? 
close our eyes, and I just want to ask this question before we continue onward. This room at the table for you. There's a place in God's house for you. And even if you're broken, and even if you can't see, God has a plan and a purpose, and it includes you, that today can be the day in which you accept that invitation to be part of his wedding feast, to be part of his celebration in heaven. He's inviting you today, and if you've never once confessed Christ as Savior, I'm not talking about that you went to church growing up or that you always knew or felt God. I'm talking about can you think of a day in which you confessed Jesus as Lord? Because the scriptures tell us if you confess with your mouth and believe it in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. But have you ever confessed it? Have you ever spoken those words with your mouth? If you haven't, today is the day to know that you're saved. With no one else looking around and with no one else paying attention to one another, this morning you've never confessed Christ as Savior. I want to give you the chance to answer and accept the invitation that Christ gives by faith today. If that's you, raise your hand this morning and say, that's me. I want to confess Christ as Savior today. I'll give you a moment or two to think about it never made that decision. Today's the day. Now's the time. This is the moment. Give you a couple more moments here. All right, you can open your eyes. My joy is this, is that I will see you at that banquet. Right? If everyone here is, if you didn't raise your hand, and, and you, I'm assuming that you guys have all accepted the invitation at one point in time. But that puts on us a responsibility. He tells them to compel them, number three, to compel them to come in. To be compelling is to be persuasive and persistent. You ever uh, go to a car dealership and you have a salesman that's trying to be persistent and persuasive? It can be obnoxious at times. But to be persistent means I'm not giving up. To be persuasive means I'm convincing. Jesus in the parable says, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come on. In other words, tell them and make it in such a way that's so convincing that they should go. Listen, a really good party, you don't have to convince people to go to. But you should talk about how good it's going to be, right? If you, have, if, I, if you have a really good event that's coming up, listen, we're going to have an event and there's going to be brisket there. And there's going to be buffalo wings there. Like, and already you've got somebody's attention. The, the marriage feast, the wedding banquet is something in heaven. It is exciting. It is a joy-filled time. And guess what? There will be food there, too. So, like, even if you didn't think any other reason to go, it's like, I'm going to be with Jesus, but I'm gonna, there's going to be food there, too? Think of the celebration attitude and, and atmosphere that's going to be in that house. It's interesting that John, excuse me, Luke 14 talks about this parable of the great banquet. And then chapter 15, he talks about the lost coin and the lost son and the lost sheep. And at the end of each of those parables, it says all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that comes to repentance. So he talks about this great 
banquet in heaven, and they talks about how joyful and how celebratory the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner comes to repentance. So that's for us to be one people who go and invite others to be part of heaven. And heaven shouldn't be this terrible thing, like if you don't go to heaven, it's a bad thing. It's like talk about how great heaven's going to be so that when people hear about it, they'll want to go there and be there too. Why go? Right? That's the question. Because if someone didn't tell you, you wouldn't be here today. You ever think about that? You wouldn't be in this room. You wouldn't be singing the songs that we worshipped to earlier. You wouldn't be praying for people. You wouldn't be receiving encouragement from God's word. You wouldn't even be here unless someone went to where you were and thought you were worth telling and inviting. Why go? Because everyone needs to hear the gospel message of Christ in a world of 7.8 billion people. Can you imagine that? We're almost at 8 billion people in the world. Only 2.8 billion of them are Christians. Of that 5 billion remaining people, missiologists say that 3.5 people have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel even once. 3.5 billion people have never heard the gospel, never heard what Jesus is or who Jesus is one time. There are 17,000 unique people groups in the 1040 window, the region covering North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia Pacific have never heard the gospel or even met a Christian before. That is why we must go. That is why we must send. There's another reason. Matthew 24 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus knows exactly where and when he's going to be returning. But you know when that's going to happen? When the last person hears the gospel for the first time. Understand that it doesn't mean that they accept him. It just means that they've heard. Because the grace of God is so prevalent and so mighty in its work that he wants to make sure that everyone's heard so that no one can say, I didn't know. Not a single person will be able to say, I didn't know about this. Every person will get the opportunity and the chance to know and hear. But when that last person hears, know that his coming is soon. Why go? Let's bring it home. Because in Western Mass and Northern Connecticut, there are people that need Jesus. Every year, there's 2,585 people in Massachusetts die of drug overdoses. 2,585 people. In Western Mass alone last year, there were 3,500 homeless people, 200 of them without a shelter to live in. Last year, there were 1,900 evictions due to the cost of living, people out on the street. In the state of Massachusetts, 8,700 uh, children are in foster care and over 35% of them are between the ages of 12 and 17 with the older ones in danger of aging out of the system without any home to call their own. There are 16,000 people in prison in the state of Massachusetts. Every year there are 65 million people in this world die without knowing Jesus. 65 million people dying every single year. So who will reach these people? How will they hear about Jesus? Can I challenge you today to ask Jesus to give you a heart for lost people? 
Ask him to give you a heart for people that don't know him. The people that are outside of the city gate, people who are outside of his house, people that need to know him, people that you haven't thought of or even considered before. Will you ask him to give you a heart for those people? It may not be in your nature to be that way, but can God give you his heart for others? I believe that he can. Ask him to give you a heart for your family, your friends, your coworkers, your former college roommates, your current coworkers, the, your neighbors, the people that you come in contact with every day. Ask him to give you a heart and a compassion for those people. Because if they don't know him, they'll spend eternity without him unless we invite them to come. Jesus said that in, Matt, in Luke 14, 24, he says, go so that my house may be full. Can I tell you, there's nothing quite like a full house. You ever go to a concert and the place is full of people? It's exciting. There's an energy in the room. Ever go to a sporting event and there's tons of people everywhere and the crowd noise is deafening, the atmosphere is exciting and electric? Have you also been in a place where there's nobody there? Go to a concert and there's like 15 people. You know who's disappointed? People performing and the people that are there. Why do I say that? It's because God wants to fill his house with people. I also say that so that you come here because you know what? On Sunday morning, there's nothing more exciting for us up here than to see a house full of people worshiping God. There's been days I've walked in here discouraged and the house is full and my heart just leaps within me. Because I'm excited that people love Jesus enough to come out to worship him and to praise him and to hear his word. To fill this house, fill it with faithful people. Be faithful to God's house, but fill it with people that don't know Jesus. That people would come to know him. I wonder if we can stand for a moment. I want to ask you to do something different today. I can do that, right? I'm your pastor. Is that all right? Some of you might say, Pastor, you've always been different. I want to ask you to come forward. Would you do that? Just out of your seat. Just slip out from where you are and just kind of fill the front here. Don't worry. Nothing weird is going to happen. But as a sign of solidarity, as a sign of the willingness to do this, we have to give God our I will it has to be greater than our own motivation. Because there's many times when it comes to our own motivation, how many have started to do something in the day and you're like, ah, I just lost the energy and enthusiasm for it. I'll just sit here on the couch. We've all been there. There's things that need to be done around the house and you're like, I'll get to it later because our own motivation is not strong enough. But when we're saying, I am willing, Lord, we're saying it's not my will but yours be done even if it's hard even if it's challenging even if it's difficult this year can either be the best year ever in your faith or it can be just another year but it all depends on your willingness to go this morning are you willing to be the ones to pray are you being the ones that are willing to follow Jesus' commands are you willing to give of yourself are you willing to serve God and his church? 
Are you willing to stand up in the face of challenges? And are you willing to go? If your answer is yes, then I encourage you today that as we take this time to pray at the end, will you just to yourself say, Jesus, yes. Lord, yes, I will do it. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll do it. I don't know how to do it, but I'll do it. Remember, he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the strong and the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You can be used by God for his glory. So will you do that today? Can we just close our eyes? And if, you, if your answer is yes, Lord, I will do it, as a sign of faith, will you just simply lift a hand up and say, I'm a, that's me, yes, I will do it. Yes, Lord, I will do it. Use us. Let that be our prayer. God, use us. God, move in us. Help us to envision your house being filled with people who need to know you and with people who love you. Help us to see what only you can see, what we can't see. So, Father, we just pray that right now. Lord, we look to you today, Jesus. We stand here, Lord God, called by you because someone saw it fit to share with us the message and invitation to receive Jesus. And so this morning, we are grateful that you saved us, that you redeemed us and called us by name. I pray this morning today, as we give you our yes, I pray today, Lord God, that you would begin to call people to your service, Lord God. Call people for particular groups of people in this world that no one else cares about. Call us, Lord, with compassion for those around us. Lay on our hearts, Lord, people that we know that need to know you. I pray that you would give us courage. I pray that you would give us confidence. I pray that you would anoint us with your spirit and equip us with the words to say so that when the time comes, we would be able to say yes and to share with them. And I pray, Lord, for the responses. May the responses surprise us. May people say yes to you, Jesus. May there be people to be saved, delivered, Lord God, and set free by the power of your spirit at work through us today. Lord, we know this is impossible. Lord, there have been people here in, our, in the front of this church this morning that have prayed for loved ones and family members and neighbors and friends, and the answer has been no, no, no. But today, Lord, by your Spirit, God, we cry out to you and say, Lord, let their response be yes. May there be a breakthrough in the heavenlies. May there be a breakdown of strongholds, Lord. And may, Lord, you break through. And may this be the year in which we sit next to friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors, and worship together in your house because one day we're going to sit at that table and worship you together and celebrate together the goodness and the grace of God. So we ask this today. Do this in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. And if you're in agreement with that, say amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. 
We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.